Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. This is the word of the Lord. I will thank the Lord with all my heart. I will tell about all your amazing deeds. I will be happy and rejoice in you. I will sing praises to you, O sovereign one. But the Lord rules forever. He reigns in a just manner. He judges the world fairly. He makes just legal decisions for the nations. Consequently, the Lord provides safety for the oppressed. He provides safety in times of trouble. Thanks, Tate. This semester, over the next few weeks, we're studying the life of David. And I am so excited. Uh, I'm excited for us to look at uh, not just kind of the stories that occurred in his life, but also the Psalms that he wrote. See, what we get to see in the life of David that's unique really out of any character, any historical figure from our scripture, uh, is that we don't just see the events that happen, but we see the emotions behind them. We don't just get to see uh, what occurred in his life, but we actually get to see David's outlook in the midst of those occurrences, in the midst of those situations. So we started uh, just a few weeks ago looking at this shepherd boy, looking at this one little guy. Who, who God chose, who God selected, right? Last week we saw that God walked into the midst of rejection that David had grown up in. And he says, I've, I've chosen you, right? I've selected you. I want you to be the king of my nation. And yet there's gonna be a long road to get to that point, right? There's gonna be 15 years of rejection that David's gonna continue to experience through his life until he gets to that position. And, and even when he arrives, everything's not perfect, right? But this morning, what I'm so excited about is that we get to see in the life of David This heart that's revealed by our world, this heart that's refined by our God, this process that God puts him through that changes him and transforms his heart, and it's through moments that look a lot of times like this. Dad with his first attempt on the slide. Sensational tumbles. You know, we, we all face obstacles in this world. Uh, sometimes they're painful. Sometimes they're messy. Uh, the reality is, I mean, we all hit those moments where we think this is it, right? This is my end, right? This is, this is, this is kind of the thing that's finally going to be uh, the thing that I had never moved past, but I can't even see past it. For me, when I was four years old, uh, I, it was the dark. I was terrified of the dark. And so my parents, every single night, they would put me in my room, they'd put me in this bed, and they'd be like, hey, go to sleep in the dark. And I was like, why? Like, what are you doing? And I had to face my fear over and over and over again. And I would have these coping mechanisms, right? I would have these things. I would get a nightlight. They would, create, they would leave my door open, like into the hallway. Uh, I would listen to this Tarzan book on tape. Um, you know, 
like four-year-olds do. Uh, and, uh, but even then, even in the midst of these things that were supposed to you know, give me security and safety and distraction from the darkness, uh, I, I would have moments, I still distinctly remember these moments where uh, the tape, right, the Tarzan story uh, was on a two-sided cassette tape. And so we would end the first half of the story and I always had this internal debate. I said, okay, well, do I want to know if Tarzan's going to be okay this time? Or do I want to get murdered when I get out of my bed, right? Because that's what's going to happen. If I get out of my bed to go flip the tape over, I'm going to get murdered. That was just, I just knew it. I knew I was going to die. Even though my parents over and over again, they would tell me like, Jacob, there's no murderers. Like you, generally, you know, like that's, that's not a thing you should probably be worried about in your room. I just, I was convinced. I was like, I'm going to die from something attacking me if I get out of this bed. And yet I'll tell you that even now, <laughs> I'm not sure what the moment was. I'm not sure what the time was, uh, but I'm at a point now in my life no longer afraid of the dark. I've arrived. And thank, thank you. That was an applause break for sure. And some of you are with me, right? Like some of us, let's just be honest and vulnerable with one another for just a moment. How many of us were scared of the dark? At one point in our lives, we were scared of the dark. We were like, yeah, that was like getting me. Yeah, yeah. And it probably almost got you, you know? You better look out. And yet what's beautiful is that all of us, even all of us, all of us survivors, like we're here and we are not even scared when moments like this occur. Oh, ooh, oh. <laughs> so the projectors are still bright. I'm now realizing. But I think they, oh! <laughs> it's still pretty bright. But listen. <laughs> even right now, we're okay, right? Like, we're okay. We're all here. We're making it. We're, we're striving through it. And it's not that darkness is somehow less dangerous today, right? Like, that's not what's occurred. It's not that somehow <laughs> the darkness of this world is, is better or is less threatening, right? The reality is that the change didn't occur in the circumstance. The change occurred in us, right? It's the, it's the same situation, but we have a different way of seeing it, right? How we see it, it's, it's been changed. It's new. It's the same problem. It's a new perspective. Right? Here, let's bring these on. Uh, new perspective. Suddenly we find ourselves moving through this world with a changed viewpoint. Our outlook has shifted. And so when we find ourselves in those moments, in those moments of maybe literal darkness, what, what happens is we have a better anchoring. We have a better view of what's actually true, right? We don't allow that fear to cloud our judgment. You see, I, I think it's unfair. As I was reading through this passage, reading through the scripture, uh, I, I got to this point where I thought, maybe it's, it's like we're choosing not to trust God. And I, that was what I was running with at first. And I realized uh, after some time, and after some prayer, and after some thought, I realized that's not really what it is. We don't actively choose, generally, we don't actively choose to distrust God. I don't think any of us really walk into scary situations and think, you know what? I'm just going to not trust God this time. Whatever. You know, like that's not our thought process or the way we talk or stand. I don't know what I'm doing. But that's, that's generally not what we do. I think instead what happens is it's, it's an unconscious move. It's an unconscious shifting where we allow fear to just overwhelm us. It's not that we're focusing on things that aren't true. It's that we're not really focusing on anything. It's that suddenly we lose our ability to really focus our minds and to remember what's true, to be anchored. We, we find ourselves just kind of just scrambling and frantic. We allow fear to cloud our vision and, and mess up our judgment. When we get into that messy breakup, I mean, when that relationship falls apart, when that friend stabs us in the back, when that tragedy just hits, 
when that cancer happens, when the unknown is approaching because we're graduating soon and we don't know what we're doing, in those moments of fear and uncertainty, it's not that we're choosing not to trust God. It's that we're not really choosing anything. We're allowing fear to make the choice for us. And we're allowing panic to just overwhelm our minds. So when we look at the life of David, we're going to see this morning, this moment where he could potentially be overwhelmed. Right, a moment that we all face, that we have faced and will face. When our parents tell us that they're getting divorced, or when we have this major test, this MCAT, this LSAT, this big grad school entrance exam, right? When we have uh, these, this messy break, when we have that health issue that pops up, when we have the, this grade that we have to make in this class and we don't, or this financial issue that rose up in our family, now we can't pay for the next semester of school, or we have all these different things that pop up and we will be, feel like we're about to be overwhelmed, and how do we respond in that moment, right? That's what we're going to see in the life of David, that he's going to hit that moment and he's going to respond in such an incredible way, in such a beautiful way that reveals his heart, and it reveals a heart that's not based in fear or panic. It's a heart that's grounded in faith. It's a heart that's focused on the truth that God has given him. When we look at this moment in the life of David, our goal is not to chase the same outcome. Our goal is to maintain the same outlook that we see in his life, that we see in his heart. Because you see, in 1 Samuel 17, we see that Saul and the Israelite army that he's leading, right? He's the king at the time. They've assembled and they've camped in the Valley of Elah where they arranged their battle lines to fight against the Philistines. Boo, we don't like them, they're bad. And so the Philistines were standing on one hill. Oh. And the Israelites, yay, on another hill. Okay, so that's what we got. We got Israelites, yay, woo. And we got Philistines. Oh yeah, sorry. Horse thing, all right? And there's a valley between them. So they're lined up, they're facing off. The Philistines' background, the Philistines are trying to invade Israel. They're trying to take over Israel's land. They're trying to subjugate its people, put them all into slavery. Philistines are bad dudes. And so then a champion came out from the camp of the Philistines, and his name was Goliath. And he was from Gath. Ooh, Gath. No, really. But he was close to seven feet tall. So Goliath steps out. He's this champion. This was a standard practice. This was an accepted strategy in that day. When you were conquering another nation, or when you wanted to conquer another nation, you didn't want to wipe out their army. You really didn't, because those were all the able-bodied men in the nation. And so if you slaughtered all of their army dudes, suddenly you have no farmers, you have no field workers, you have no fathers of children. Like, you're giving up a huge economic uh, piece, a huge stability piece of that land that you're trying to conquer. And so what you would do is you would send out one guy. You'd be like, hey, I don't want to murder thousands of you. Let me just murder one of you, right? Let's just, just the one. And so you would send out a champion, and you would see who would win. And so Goliath is that champion. He's probably done this time and time again. He steps out of the Israel, or sorry, out of the Philistine camp, and he starts yelling at Israel. He says, "Hey, I defy Israel's troops this day. Give me a man so we can fight each other." And when Saul and all the Israelites they heard these words of the Philistine, they were upset. They were very afraid. Understandably so. This is a big, intimidating figure. He's been, you know, the Philistines are on a roll, man. They're just like, they're conquering people after people after people. And so they're showing up at this valley, glass yelling at them, and they're, they're terrified. Right? It's a scary moment. And we find out that Goliath actually does this for 40 days, twice a day for 40 days, 80 times. He stands up, he yells at him, gives him this challenge. He says, hey, if anybody can come against me, come on. Let's fight each other, right? I defy you. I defy your God. I defy this nation. And it's really sad because in the crowd, right, the camera zooms in and we see that Jesse, Jesse the Bethlehemite, the, the dad that we saw last week, 
his three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. Jesse was old, but he sent his sons to go fight in this war on their family's behalf. And the names of the three sons who went to war were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, the second oldest, Shammah, the third oldest. <coughs> he had sent these stellar dudes. If you, you might remember, if you were with us last week, Eliab is an impressive guy. Eliab's the oldest, the firstborn. He's this impressive dude. He's a guy that the prophet of God, Samuel, he looked at Eliab and he was like, this guy's got to be king. This has got to be him. He's so impressive. I'm just assuming he must be the chosen next king of Israel. As I was scouring our culture for a perfect one-to-one equivalent, the best I found was our current reigning champion, current sexiest man alive, Blake Shelton, right? That's Eliab. That's Eliab. <laughs> oh, God. So bad. But he's there, right? Blake is in the crowd, and he's like, oh, you know, they're looking at Goliath. I don't know any of his songs. And he is terrified, right? He's terrified. Look out. He's terrified. Oh, oh, mama. You know, like, he's so scared of Goliath. And in that, in that fear, in that anxiety, in that terror, what happens is he just doesn't say anything. What happens is that the nation of Israel, they offer no response. They send out no champion, and they just sit there for 40 days until eventually David shows up. See, David was still back home taking care of the sheep. That was his job. And his dad, though, gave him the second job. He's like, hey, here's what you do. I need you to take this, like, bread and cheese uh, out to your brother's. Take it to them. They're out at war. Take this bread and cheese. They got a carbo load, right? It takes, it takes a lot of protein and carbs to maintain that, right? Like you got you to gotta work at it. So he says, take him all this bread. Take him this cheese. So David goes and he entrusts that cargo to the care of the supply officer. But then he ran to the battlefront. And when he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. He's checking in. He's like, hey, how are you guys doing? How's it going? Right? What's, what's going on? And as he's speaking to them, this is what happens. The champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, boo, he was coming up from the battle lines of the Philistines, and he spoke as he usually did, and David heard it. Suddenly we have this moment where everything changes. Even though it's the same challenge that's been given day after day after day after day, morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening, all of a sudden, on this new morning, a new person hears it. And everything changes. As we keep reading the story of David against Goliath, right? We will see that David wins, right? Spoiler alert, he wins. He defeats Goliath in battle. Goliath dies. David chops his head off with a sword. It's very biblical. And that's just what happens. And a lot of times what happens is we use this story. We look at that. We read that. And you know what? It's been retold in our, in our culture countless times. All those underdog tales, all those stories that time and time again where this unlikely hero, hero rises out of obscurity and, and conquer, has that one big battle. They blow up the Death Star. They shoot that lightning spell. Win Quidditch. Like they do these things that are amazing. And suddenly everyone's like, oh, this is the guy, right? We talked about this a little bit last week. Samuel goes to David. He's like, you're going to be the guy. David's like, awesome. But he's got 15 years of obscurity ahead of him, 15 years of rejection. Even in this moment, he's about to have this awesome and super-duper victory. He is. It's just kind of this light moment in the, in the midst of kind of a lot of fear and darkness. 
and we'll use this story and say, man, this is, this is just that little guy that overcomes all odds, all opponents, and he wins. He just, he just does better. He just is better. He just runs harder. He just does these things. And sometimes we'll even try to, we'll spiritualize it in the, in the church, and we'll say, well, it's, it's not just that he, like, did better, but it's that he trusted better, right? He trusted harder. He just believed more. And I'll tell you, that's, it's misguided. It's misguided. Because generally speaking, when we tell those stories, as we go through those kind of rhythms and beats, what's happening is that we're still focused on the outcome of this tale. We're still focused on that external victory that David gets to experience. And Scripture is so clear that that should not be our point on the horizon. That should not be the end-all, be-all of this story. Eliab, Blake Shelton makes a cameo in this story for a very specific reason. Why does he show up? It's to draw our minds back to 1 Samuel 15. It's to bring us back, if you were here last week, to the story that we saw where Samuel goes to this family of dudes and he's picking the next king. And when the impressive guys stand up to the forefront, Samuel's like, yes. And God says, no. Why? Because God says, I'm not focused on this outward appearance. I'm looking deeper. I'm looking at the heart. And so when we read the story of David and Goliath, we would be so foolish to just take it at face value, to just assume, yeah, that outcome is what we're chasing. It's not. Eliab makes a cameo to remind us to look deeper, to not look at this victory, but to look at the heart behind it. To not look at what occurred in David's life, the outcome of his actions, it's the heart Outlook is the heart attitude that he maintained. When we look in this story, we don't take away, I'm going to just rush ahead and trust better. It's we need to slow down. In the midst of darkness, when we're facing those obstacles, when we're, when we're fearful, when we're anxious, we just got to slow down and check what do we know to be true? What are we ultimately focused on? What's the outlook of our heart in this moment? Because if I'm focused on the outcome, I mean, I'm going to get really frustrated. I'm going to get really bitter. Because God doesn't always kill that giant in the way or at the time that I want it to die. What happens if I'm focused on that outcome and yet I'm still depressed? What happens when I'm focused on that, that outcome, on that, on that victory that I want to achieve, but my parents, they still get divorced? Or I still can't quit struggling with that pride or that lust or that jealousy? What happens when those expectations aren't met? I'm crushed. But instead, we look at the life of David and we see not just this anticipation of a particular outcome, it's this outlook that he maintained regardless of the circumstance. The truth is that, man, even in David's life, sometimes God would slay the giant. But sometimes God would allow David to run scared for 15 years in the desert, fleeing a crazy king who had no right to rule. David had to run and run and hide. <laughs> it's not a great time. It's not a joyous moment. And yet in the midst of both of these occasions, in both of these circumstances, David's heart is focused on the same truth. The first thing that we see him focused on, right? The first thing we see him really resonating with and remembering in his heart of hearts is that our God is enormous, that our God is powerful, 
that our God is in control. That's why when David hears uh, Goliath's challenge, he asks the men around him, he says, who is this Philistine that he defies the armies of the living God? David doesn't say, man, who's this guy stepping up on Israel, right? Or, hey, who's this guy stepping up on, like, my people? David's faith and, and his confidence is not in himself. It's not even in his nation. It's in the God who leads it. It's in the God who's ultimately over it. David says, this guy is making a huge mistake because he's standing against the living God, the one true God. He says, man, that, that's just not going to end well. Right? That's what we see in Psalm 9, a psalm that we're told <coughs> is written right after David defeats Goliath in battle. He writes this, this thing that we read, that Tate read for us earlier, that the Lord rules forever, that he reigns in a just manner, that he judges the world fairly, that he makes just decisions for the nations, that God provides safety for the oppressed and he provides safety in times of trouble. We see this incredible perspective that our God is all-powerful, that our God is all-knowing, that our God is ruling for all of eternity, right? The entire world world. So many times we become, we get so limited in our view of God, we forget how huge and awesome and mighty he really is. Psychologists will say that in our minds that just, we can, we can kind of process about 250 people. That's kind of our, our sphere of these are people that I can know, or these are like names I can know. These are, these are people that in my mind, I think of that person, I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, person. That's uh, someone with hopes and dreams and desires and, and, you know, highs and lows and a story. Like about 250 people that is generally our maximum. I mean, that's, that's fewer than the number of people in this room. It's a lot less than the number of people in our town or the number of people at our university. It's a lot less people than uh, that live in America or in the world. Right? We're in a world of over 7 billion people. We can't even fathom. We, you can't even like some of us would be like, how many zeros is that? Like, we don't even, we can't process that. And yet our God has told us, not only have I created these things and designed every single aspect with a purpose, but I keep up with it. I know when the ravens are hungry. I know when the flowers need water. I know every strand of hair on your head. He's so incredibly large, and yet he cares about the just teeny, tiniest individual. This is something that God reminds his servant Job of. Another historical biblical figure of ours, Job, who goes through all this hardship, all this strife and struggle in his life. And in the midst of all this struggle, he begins to question God. Right? He's, really, he's really steadfast. He really trusts God for a long, long, long time. But he's got these friends that are kind of getting in his ear, that are kind of telling him all this wrong stuff. And so he begins to question. He starts to give in. He's like, man, I don't know. Yeah, is God in control? Is God really on my side? And we hit Job 38, one of my favorite passages, about 38 through 41, favorite passage of Scripture. Because we're what I like to call sassy God. Sassy God shows up, okay? Just feel the sass. The Lord answers Job in the midst of this questioning, in the midst of this uncertainty, out of the whirlwind. So you know it's good. Who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? In other words, who is this coming at me? With, with dissenting opinion, with, with all these other views, with all these other, you know, frustrations, and yet has no knowledge? Get ready for a difficult task like a man. I will question you, and you will inform me. In other words, buckle up, buckaroo, because we're about to uh, get into it. He says, where were you 
When I laid the foundation of the earth, tell me, if you possess understanding, who set its measurements, if you know? Who stretched a measuring line across it? He says, on what were its bases set? Oh, who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang in chorus and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Have you gone to the springs that fill the sea or walked about in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deepest darkness? Have you considered the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know it all. I love it. After this chapter, Job actually kind of starts to backtrack. He's like, well, you know, I could, maybe I'm gonna... And God's like, hold up, I'm not done. And he goes in for like two more chapters. He's like, let me finish. He talks about the, the stars and the universe. He talks about the depths of our, of our world. He talks about these, these seen things and these unseen things. He talks about the physical realm and the spiritual realm. He talks about all these incredible aspects, this design that he has, this creation he's made. He says, Job... Who are you to presume you know better than me? Why have you put yourself in such a lofty position that you think I'm wrong? He says, how dare you ever reach that place? And man, I, I still go there. Right? I still go there. I still have moments in my life where I see moments in other people's lives and say, I mean, God, where were you? What was that about? This should have gone a different way. This should have turned out in a different, there should have been a different outcome in this, right? Like that person shouldn't have gotten sick. You should have healed them. God, why would you allow that marriage to fall apart? God, why would you allow these things to occur? And I look in this world and I see things, I'm just like, that's just, I would do it differently. And then I hit moments like Job 38. And I realized, God, what kind of pride am I allowing to foster and fester and develop in my heart that I'd question the God of the universe? How often do we lose sight of the fact that our God is huge? How often do we really pause and just reflect on that, on the truth that our God is all-knowing and all-powerful? how great and, and just mighty he is. We sing it, but do we feel it? Do we think on it? Every single year, uh, we have fellows, right? People are on staff with us that work with us that keep our ministry going. We have uh, fellows in our college ministry and youth department, children's department, all, all across our church. And this is a program that's been running for a number of years and it grows, 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 grows. So this last year, we had just over 30 fellows on staff with us here at Grace, full-time staff with us here at Grace. And here's what's incredible that you might not know. Is that every single fellow that works at your grace, they raise their own support. So just like a missionary going overseas would raise support for like, hey, can you send me on this trip? Or would you partner with me in ministry? Our fellows are doing that. They're raising support from people that they know that want to walk alongside them, that want to support them and partner with them in ministry to Texas A&M and to Blinn College, to the families that live here in College Station and Bryant. And just this past year, I mean, this just, it blows my mind. Just this past year, they raised over $700,000 just for that year, right? They're raising their salary. They're raising their support. Over $700,000. And I look at that number, and I'm just like, that's like, that's a lot of minivans, right? I could do, <laughs> I could do a lot with that. And it's just, it's such a high number. And yet, the reality is that it's, it's God's 
money, right? It's God's resource. Ultimately, it, it, it's, it's something that belongs to the Lord. And so, yeah, he's going to use it the way he wants to use it. He's going to direct it the way that he sees fit. And, and it's foolish of us to ever forget that, to forget that, yeah, today's my day. I can do what I want with today because it's mine. When the reality is that no day is guaranteed. Every moment is an opportunity, a gift from the Lord that he's given us, that he's entrusted to our care for the sake of his glory, for the sake of pointing other people to him, to showing them how great and mighty and incredible he is. David remembered that. He slowed down. He was like, you know what? My God is huge. He also slowed down. He remembered, you know what? My God has given me gifts. He has equipped me for this moment. David took his staff in hand. He picked out five smooth stones from the stream. He placed them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and he took his sling in his hand. He approached the Philistine. David didn't just say, like, hey, I'm going to go fight this Goliath guy with open arms and a prayer. Oh, you know, like that wasn't it. He says, you know what? God's actually been working with me and equipping me and molding me, and I've been a shepherd. I know how to swing this little stick thing. I know how to, like, throw these stones. Like, I can do that. It's like, so I guess I'll just Bring it with me, right? He looked at these things that maybe other people would look at as insignificant abilities or skills. He says, no, God's given me these things for a purpose. He's given me these things for a reason. Suddenly I look at what God has placed in my life and I realize that it's there intentionally for me to use to glorify him, right? To pursue something great. Something great. Something incredible. You saw an oven. They saw beauty, right? They saw, they saw untapped potential and probably a broken oven. That's probably what it then turned into. But there are things, there are abilities that God has given you. Some of us are really good at talking to people. We can listen really, really well. And that's a gift. That's an ability that God's given you. Some of us are incredibly patient. Some of us are very merciful. Some of us are incredibly hospitable. Some of us, we we love to just see other people succeed. Some of us, we love to lead. And we love to step into the gap. And we love to to, to, to push people forward, to encourage other people. We love to uh, take numbers and spreadsheets. And we love to just like put it all together. And we're like, I'm going to balance that booger. Boom. We love it. Right? Some of us, we, can, we just love learning and knowing about the body and about how muscles and tendons and all that stuff works. Some of us are like, yeah, you know what the powerhouse of the cell is? Mitochondria. Got it. Unlock. Right? We got that. Some of us are just so equipped in so many different ways. All of us are equipped in so many different ways. And God has given you those things for a reason. He's given you those abilities. He's given you those passions. He's given you that gifting. He says, I want you to use this. I want you to use these gifts. And not only the things that you've been given as an individual, but he says, but I've also given you people, right? I've given you this community to be a part of. David walked out to face Goliath alone, true. But we never have to do that. That was Jesus Christ's gift to us. He says, I- I'm going to die for you as individuals, right? Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live and die and rise again for you as an individual. 
For God so loved the world, right? This world made of people, of individuals. God says, I love you so much. I'm gonna send my son to die for your sake. I'm gonna send my son to be the sacrifice that you need to know me, to be reconciled to me. But when Jesus rose from the grave, as he's talking to his disciples about, man, what's next? He says, I'm gonna leave you. He says, but this is what's incredible. I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's gonna come to you and he's gonna be a guide and a counselor and a teacher. He says, but what he's also gonna do is he's gonna bind you together. He's gonna actually be your common ground. And so anyone who calls the name of Jesus Christ has, has been saved, right? They can have faith. They've been adopted in the family of God. He says, you now have these brothers and sisters who you're bound together with for all of eternity. That's not an accident. That's an intentional gift from God. He says, I want you to use these things in the midst of that darkness, right? Stop and just remember what God has given you. David says, I've got a sling and a stick. I don't know what you have, but God's given you something. That natural talent, that ability, that spiritual gift. He's given you those people around you. He's given you his word that's rich with truth. And some of us, maybe we're like, man, I don't know what that is. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure all that stuff out. I would encourage you, talk to us. We are, we are here to walk with you through these types of self-discovery moments, to walk with you through these types of decision-making times. We, we want to help you realize it and see, I mean, how has God equipped you? What is God calling you towards? What, what's the way you're wired? I mean, how, how could God use that in the awesome, exciting, wonderful times and even in the darkness? We would love to help you with that. Text us. We'd love to meet up. We'd love to talk. Because we've been given to you as a gift for a reason. So let us be that gift. David says, I'm going to stop. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to remember who my God is, how great he really is. I'm going to stop. I'm going to remember how how good he's been with giving me these gifts, with giving me these experiences, with equipping me in these ways. He says, I'm also going to remember that my God is good and that he's shown me incredible grace. See, when Saul knows that David's about to go out, he, he kind of pushes back. He's like, man, I are you really qualified to like go be our champion, right, against this big old Goliath monster dude? And David says, well, here's the thing. Your servant, me, okay, I, I've been a shepherd for my father's flock. And whenever a lion or a bear would come and carry off a sheep from the flock, I'd go after it, strike it down, rescue the sheep from its mouth. Saul says, are you really qualified, right? If you're sitting down for a job interview, this is like if you sat down and someone at a you know, big four accounting firm was like, so what, what makes you ready to come and be a KPMG auditor or whatever? And you say, well, you know, I went to junior high, so. <laughs> it's basically what's happening. David's like, I was a shepherd. But then he explains, right? And then he says, well, but here's the thing. I, I would rescue these, I would see these big, scary kind of monster type, you know, Goliath type uh, creatures and they would come and, and I'd rescue the sheep. Not only that, if that monster would then rise up against me, I would actually grab it by its jaw. I'd strike it and kill it, right? So I don't, it probably wasn't exactly like this, but maybe, I don't know, but it's dead. And your servant has struck down both the lion and the bear and this Philistine will be just like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living up. David keeps coming back to this thing. He's like, man, I just, I can't see how any of you don't see this. He's standing against the living God. There's no way he's going to be allowed to stand there. For the Lord who delivered me from the lion and from the bear will also deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said, go. 
God be with you. David says, I remember what he's done, right? David's saying, I've, I've seen the Lord work. I've seen his movement. He's doing what we all do. He's using past experience to create a present expectation in the future. Last night, my, my son Lawrence is a year old. He started throwing up. He's sick. It's probably because his sister a few days ago was also sick. She didn't throw up, but, you know, whatever. It's all fluid everywhere. And so she and he are both sick. At this point in my life, I know that I'm going to get sick. I just know it. In the deep recess, and it's not that God spoke. It's God was like, you'll be sick. Like, it's not that. It's that I look back at my life, and I know every time that both of my kids both get sick from the same thing, I'm going to get it. Because every time they get sick, without fail, I just somehow, they will always wind up coughing in my mouth. <laughs> every time. I don't, I can't explain it. Apparently, I can't avoid it. It just happens. Every single time. One of them will get somehow in my face, because I'm trying to love them and support them and, you know, wipe them off, and they'll just be, what is it? And I just, it gets in my mouth every single time. I'm going to fall. I know it. It was nice on you guys. We had a good run. I've seen what's happened in the past, and it's going to change my expectation for what's going to happen in the future. That's why our summer missions are so incredibly powerful and life-changing. We send students overseas every summer, every winter, send about 100 students this year, and, and it's because, or the, we see this incredible life change because there's moments that happen on the trip, sure, where you see the Lord move in, in new ways, in powerful ways. It's, it's awesome. But the life change that we see happening through conversations that we hear about, through keeping up with students that go, is not necessarily always on the trip. A lot of times it happens well after the trip. And it's when they're moving into their job in Dallas, or they're moving into that new career, they're going to that thing, whatever it might be, that next step. And they're looking back at that experience. They're looking back at that trip and they're seeing, man, God has moved. And I know he's going to keep moving. I know he's still in control. And some of us, I know that it's hard for us to see that because darkness doesn't just cloud our vision of the future. It clouds our vision of the past. It has a way of really distorting what we know to be true, not just about now or what's next, but also about what's been. And that's why it's incredible that God has given us his word, that he's given us this promise. And he said, hey, I love you so much that I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And that act of grace, that movement, is something that we can remember. That's our anchor in the storm. When I was in youth ministry here uh, for a number of years, I had a student named Jake. I had him for, uh, from when he was in junior high all the way through, about midway through high school. Uh, and when he was midway through high school, uh, he died. Very unexpectedly. Uh, just one day, he was at school, Parents got a call about midday. They said, uh, Jake's heart just stopped beating. He just collapsed. So they went to the hospital. I got a call, so I went to the hospital. And I, I still remember just driving up and, and seeing them standing outside, uh, distraught, right? Their oldest son, their oldest kid just, just, just gone. And I remember seeing just shock on their face. It was a lot of it. Just this, this just incredible just shock. And that shock just sort of stayed there for the week. Uh, they asked me to officiate the service. I was like 22, 
and they were like, hey, I, would you officiate this service? Would you uh, lead this uh, time, this funeral? So I was working with them and talking with them and going to the funeral home with them and, and working through these arrangements. And then as we were talking and just continuing to interact, you know, every day for that week in the lead up to the service, uh, just shock. It's just, it's just the thing that I'd always just, they're just shocked. And I remember when we got to the day of the service, um, there was sort of, there were two plans, two possible plans. The first was that um, I was going to speak uh, on behalf of the family. I was going to talk about Jake. Um, it was going to be great. And then we would move into uh, worship. Uh, there was a second plan where maybe uh, I would speak, and then if she was feeling up to it, Jake's mom would actually stand up, and she would share some words as well. Um, but everyone was kind of expecting, that's probably not going to happen, right? Like, she'd, she's been through a lot. They still had like four or five other kids at the time that they're taking care of, that they're running after. I mean, it's just, it's just madness. But we get to this moment on the day of the service, and I got up, and I got to just share. I got to share about Jake. It was an incredible honor, incredible pr- privilege, talking to a packed-out Southwood auditorium about this kid that I've loved this kid who left an incredible legacy, who displayed incredible faith, told all of his friends about Jesus. Just, just, an, just awesome, just awesome kid. And I, and I talked about it, I shared the gospel in it. And I remember getting off the stage and going to sit down and, and I remember just praying that God would use the gospel that I presented, or that, he would, that he would pierce into the heart and mind of, of these people, of many non-believers who were there in the audience. And I remember just thinking that and praying that and, and kind of realizing that music wasn't starting, that worship wasn't really kicking up. And so I kind of looked up and I realized that his mom had gone on stage. And what was so incredible is that as I'd been working with her all week, I was seeing the shock and this dismay and this distraught, right? There just tears. I mean, it's just... And in that moment, I just saw peace. It's unbelievable. And as she stood there, she got to share about her son and about her God. And she explained that she was hurting so deeply, but that she was still joyful because thanks to Jesus Christ, she knew God. And that because, and thanks, for, thanks to Jesus Christ, that she knew that her son knew God. She knew that Jake had put his faith, his trust in Jesus, and so that she knew that he was living in splendor in the presence of his God for all of eternity, right? She knew this. And she shared this. She knew even in that moment, even in that darkness, I can't even, I can't even fathom. Even in that darkness, she said, man, God is good. And God is gracious. And the truth is, man, that some of us are going to face these giants and these obstacles, these overwhelming moments where it just seems larger than life. But God says, I've conquered sin. And I've conquered death. So there's a promise, there's a hope that you have that extends beyond this world. That's why Jesus looked at his followers and says, man, you, you are going to weep and you're going to wail. And the world around you, they're not going to get you, they're going to reject you, and they're going to rejoice in the midst of your weeping. He says, you're going to be so sad, but your sadness will turn into joy. Why? Because when a woman gives birth, she has distress because her time has come. But when the child is born, she doesn't even remember the suffering because of the joy that a human being has been brought into the world. 
He says, man, you just you forget what lies behind because of the incredible gift of what's now. He says, you're going to have sorrow, but I'm going to see you again. He says, I'm coming back for you. He says, and because of that, your hearts are going to rejoice and no one's going to take that joy away from you. He says, this is what I'm promising to you. You're going to have sorrow and you're going to hurt. And he's not invalidating that. He's not diminishing that in any way. Some of us are right now in the midst of incredible darkness. And my heart breaks for you. It really does. And Jesus says, man, I, I hear you and I see you and I love you and I'm coming back for you. That's where our hope lies. Not in that God's going to vanquish every giant right here, right now, when we want it to happen in the way that we want to see it happen. Our hope is that, man, there's a day coming when Jesus is coming back. He didn't just come and live and die and rise. He's coming back. So, so in these moments, in this distress, in this sorrow, remember what's true. Remember that your God has power. Remember your God has equipped you. Remember that your God is good. So let's go before God right now and ask him to help us remember that truth. God, we thank you that you've given us just moments to pull away, God, to remember what you've told us, to remember what's true. God, we ask that you would guide our steps, Lord, you would direct our minds, that you would help us maintain this right focus. If you would take a moment now and Pray for the people sitting around you. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't. Maybe you know what they're going through right now or, or maybe you're completely in the dark. But if you would take a moment right now and just pray, ask God, say, God, walk with this guy, walk with this girl, walk with these people. But let them be strengthened in the midst of sorrow. God, let them be focused when fear is trying to just overwhelm their minds. God, let us be a community that supports one another with a purpose, with an intention that comes from you, that points other people to you. So take this moment, pray those things for the people around you right now. Well, howdy, and welcome to the Grace College Podcast. My name is Kevin Barra. And I'm Jacob Smith. And uh, we are here to basically just look back on the passages that we preach through our sermons and look ahead at what's coming up in our ministry. Uh, and we are really excited. We're a few weeks into this new semester, and we've been talking through the life of David, and he's still he's still there. He's still trucking. He just, is uh, <laughs> young man, slaying giants. Slaying giants. Or uh, where I'm at, he is running for his life. Yeah, so. basically the same thing. He's, <laughs> there's always adversity, basically, in David's life. For real. Uh, which is good. You need that conflict. That's what makes it a good story. Uh, but yeah, we've been um, looking at, right, we're, we're slightly off from each other in the timeline, but it's kind of cool. We were just talking about how uh, even this past week or uh, – we were in different passages, but, man, a lot of the takeaway was the same thing. It was mm. this idea that David had this heart that knew when to be still, essentially. Even when life was hectic and crazy, mm. when he was looking at an enemy or he was running for his life, his heart was still in the sense that he knew to just pause and remember what's true and to reflect on what God had revealed to him, yeah. what he could trust in. And so, um, yeah, so we were talking about just kind of application point that neither of us managed to get to yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> we can now uh, is yeah we're talking about scripture memory yeah. so 
um, man, it's, it's a, it's a big piece. And thankfully in our modern age, there's just a lot of opportunity to memorize scripture in new ways. Yeah. And so one of the things that, uh, I've been talking a lot about with, uh, students and staff is a thing called scripture typer, That's right. which is an app. Uh, it's also a website, but scripture typer.com, uh, scripture typer on the app store. It's just, it's really just kind of a, a, a kind of fun easy way to just immerse yourself in scripture and learn it uh, pretty on a pretty quick uh, pace. And mm-hmm. so um, it uses kind of these different learning mechanisms. Um, they just, you know, sort of the way our brains work, it's just, it's designed to where you, uh, you put together the verse, the passage kind of over about a week and you, you get it down and it will remind you on your phone or in your calendar or things like that. But anyway, That's we just, great. that was a really cool thing to kind of do just to lock away that scripture. God tells us, Hey, if you're faithful to, to write these words in your heart, to, to bind these things to your mind, um, the, the word of God's powerful and yeah. it'll, it's, it's so helpful in those times of stress or trial, um, when you don't know what to think, you don't know what to say, suddenly the word of God can be brought to your mind. And it's yeah. just, it's incredibly helpful in so many ways. So, yeah. and it's scripture so, typer. And it's so true in life. I mean, it's a great reference or a great um, a great option, Jacob. And, and the other thing is like words are powerful. You know, I mean, if, mm-hmm. if someone says three nice things and one bad thing, like that bad thing tends to stick <laughs> in your mind. Um, and, and honestly, like the, the word of God can stick into your mind and help combat you when, when your thoughts aren't always in the right place and, and you're believing lies. And so, so good to, to fill your mind with the word of God. So strong encouragement to there. Psalms are a great place for that. Uh, mm-hmm. You can look at the Psalms that correlate with the life of David, even mm-hmm. if you're tracking with us through the series. And some of those would be really helpful for you to do. So check out that resource and uh, put the word of God in your mind. So we got two announcements that we want to give you before we close up our time together. Uh, one is this. Uh, if you have a heart for missions, um, if you really want to see the gospel go forth overseas, we strongly encourage you to check out grace-bible.org and look at our missions opportunities. We have a two-year missions partnership where you can go uh, with one of our partner ministries overseas mm. and for two years spend time sharing the gospel, connecting with college students, and really seeing the gospel go forth in some, some needy areas. And the second announcement is this, um, our Grace Fellows program. It's also a two-year program in which we train you how to grow as a ministry leader. And so you get to lead leaders, you get to lead Bible studies, you get to help set the strategic direction of our college ministry and really speak into it. And, and Shape, we were just talking about one of our fellows today about how he's only been here for two weeks and made an, already made an incredible impact. Yeah. And, uh, and we appreciate that. So we, we want people that can come to contribute. And yeah. so if you were thinking about ministry, we encourage you to check out our Grace Fellows program at grace-bible.org. Yep. With that, we're signing off. Yep. Have a great week.